This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, AOPA is giving away some money. And 3,000 private airports might be taken off the charts. Also the latest with the Legato Network. And did you know the Bahamas were reopening? Finally, the FAA wing spar AD on the Cherokees, some movement in that area. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk today? Let's do some Hangar Talk, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, our guest this week, really cool guy that, that you found, uh, Skywriter. His name's Dimitri Neonakis. He's from Canada. He flies a Cirrus. And he does the most amazing art on, I guess, for flight, basically. Flight path art, Ian. It's the next piece of art that you can see in the sky. So we'll hear yeah, right. we'll hear from Dimitri. He'll explain how he does that. And his art is very interesting to see. And some of it's for social causes. Okay, very cool. So we'll have him on in a little bit. But first, let's talk about money. AOPA is giving away some cash. This is something we've been doing every year now for the past couple of years. Thanks to, thanks to donors who want to support the next generation. Recently given away 120 scholarships worth more than a million bucks. That's right, Ian. More than $1.1 million was given out to students, their teachers, and other pilots who are pursuing advanced aviation certifications or ratings. Okay, so this is people who are just coming up. They've submitted scholarship applications to AOPA. And, you know, when AOPA started You Can Fly a few years ago, it was felt a lot of people in the community, they, they wanted to give, they didn't know how. And so AOPA created this avenue to directly impact these people and, and get them flying. And each person has to go through this really rigorous process. They tell us why they want to learn to fly, what they've done about it so far. And uh, we've had a really good success rate from people who've gotten this in the past. And we also follow through with a lot of the students, Ian, and we track their progress. We find out how they're doing, what their milestones are. And several are really, you know, giving it a good go and they're headed towards professional aviation careers. Yeah, this is fantastic. So like we said, through the Ray Foundation and then individual pilots. So if you want to help, it's the AOPA Foundation. Reach out. 
you too can can be part of making that next generation. Or if you're just coming up and you want to apply, keep an eye out. We always announce with lots of lead time if you need to apply or want to apply for one of those scholarships next year. Absolutely. And don't be shy. Put it out there. All right, moving on. Private airports. These are a great resource we have around the country. There's, you know, there's like, what is it? About 5,000 public use airports, but then 15,000 or something like that total landing areas charted around the country. And a lot of those are at risk of going away if owners don't do something about it. That's right, Ian. And look, we don't have much time. (laughs) We need to report on this. Uh, if, If you're a private airfield owner, let's say this, definitely check in and make sure that your field is charted because you only have until the end of June. 3,000 privately owned airports could be listed as closed. We don't want that to happen to you. And we're talking to the private airfield owners, the folks who manage private airfields, because these are a great resource to pilots like me, VFR pilots, who might need a place to land or just because it's a great place to fly in and out of. Yeah. So if you've gotten an airport charted, you know what a pain it is and how difficult it is and and the process you have to go through. So you don't want to lose that. And so if the airport is still active and still viable, definitely make sure your information is updated with the FAA because like we said, 3,000 of those are at risk of going away as the FAA goes through their data and calls it. That's right. Just give a APA.org a, a quick search and you know, go ahead and search for private airport owners and you will see exactly how to do that if you forgot how to do it. Yeah. And from a pilot standpoint, if you haven't been to a privately owned airport before, you got to try it. Some of these are just, you know, little bitty grass strips, stole strips, uh, helicopter landing pads. Some are, you know, paved. They've got services. And so call ahead and go to one. It's, it's pretty fun. Usually the owners are more than happy to see us there, but definitely I can't stress enough. It's just what you mentioned, Ian, call ahead because I actually have been turned away mm, interesting. <laughs> in advance. So, uh, But that's not the usual process. Normally you call ahead. People are more than happy to have you come in and visit and share the love of aviation. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, Legato. We've talked about this the past couple of times, but it's important we want to touch on it again. Legato is a company that's trying to make sort of the, you know, the Internet of Things and a a nationwide Wi-Fi network. The problem is really close to the GPS spectrum in terms of radio frequencies. And so AOPA, obviously, and many others opposed to this. And it seems like camps are lining up in their side and, and the fight is starting to solidify a little bit. I think we're going to hear a lot more about this, Ian. I know that on the AOPA e-media side, we're following this closely. And as you mentioned, the jamming of the uh, potential jamming of the GPS navigation signals is the key. And we've already seen that sort of event happen on the military side of things. Now, there's two different things, but it still affects, you know, how we navigate. And when you look at the world, it's not just aviation. It's also marine navigation, automobiles as well, as well as some emergency services. So this is really a key thing to keep your ear to the ground on. I, I would encourage all pilots to get in and get on board and, and keep a keep a look out for what's going on with Legato and the new network. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, AOPA obviously has come out very strongly against this, as you mentioned. The FCC did approve their application, but of course that is not the end-all be-all of the process. Congress, for example, seems to be a little bit skeptical of this. And so, you know, we're, we're following those avenues and there are others. So, as you say, you know, keep an ear out because I think there's a lot more to hear about this in the future. Absolutely. And if folks are not familiar with Legato, they might remember the word Light Squared, the company that started this back in the day, probably about seven, eight years ago. So it's still around. And there's a, 
a lot of concern uh, about the safety aspects of this. So uh, keep an eye out. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, David, uh, through COVID and, and through the pandemic and the shutdown, GA did fall down a little bit in terms of activity. And part of the reason for that is there weren't a lot of places to go. You know, a lot of places were closed. One of those was the Bahamas, completely shut off to uh, private aviation. But the Bahamas is reopening. Correct, Ian. You know, a ban on international travel to the Bahamas went into effect back in March, on March the 24th. And that was uh, right when the coronavirus pandemic was sweeping across North America. But we are happy to report that as of June 15th, the Bahamas reopened to general aviation pilots. Yes, absolutely. So if you're, you know, based especially in the southeast and Florida, that sort of thing, you can hop right over and enjoy it as you have. Now, they have put out a guide. The Tourism Council has put out a guide on, on how this is going to work. There are two phases. You mentioned it's open to GA now, and that's true through the end of the month. Only, you know, private. So it's also yachts and stuff like that. But GA is, gets to go in before the airlines, which is pretty cool. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starting July 1st, it'll be phase two with commercial. Now, we should say... The first phase, so this next couple of weeks, you got to kind of want to go there. So maybe if you have a house or a condo or something like that, because you will have to show when you get there a negative COVID test, which I understand is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> I, I haven't experienced that yet, Ian, and I'm hoping that I don't have to. But for folks who want further guidance, I'm going to go ahead and give them the website real quick so they can tap into it. It's bahamas.com slash tourism dash reopening. So there are a lot more details there. And you're right, you have to jump through some hoops to get in. But I think the payoff is well worth the hassle factor. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you want to go to the Bahamas, you've been waiting, you've been itching to go somewhere, it's like, now's a good time. Make those reservations. Obviously, you want to check with a hotel because a lot of places are, are probably still closed. Um, and there are some restrictions on restaurants, but not too bad. So Definitely something to look out for. Well, let's move on from the Bahamas to something closer at hand. And let's talk a little bit about the Piper AD that we talked about not long ago. There's new information. Yeah, so this is a big one. You, you know, you'll remember we talked about on the show and, and others, you probably heard about this uh, aero accident that happened at Embry-Riddle where there was a wing spar failure, very sad accident. As a result, the FAA put out a proposed AD that affected more than 20,000 Pipers having to do with a wing spar. There has since been an update that we're happy to say calls that list down by almost 9,000 models. But you still need to be aware of this, Piper Low Wing owners, if you have a, a, any of the PA-32R series aircraft. Those are the Lances and the Saratogas. But it doesn't apply to a majority of the PA-28s that are the lower power version of that low-wing aircraft. Typically the PA-28-140, 150, 160 series and the PA-28-180. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of those were included in the previous version of this AD proposal. Now they are taken out. You mentioned the 140, 150, 160, 161, 180, but the 32Rs have been added. So the comment period has been reopened. That's open through the end of July, I believe, July 20th, it looks like. So if uh, you have something to say about this Wingspar AD, definitely take a look. You know, they're, they're kind of tweaking how the compliance will work and that sort of thing. So this will impact you if you have a Piper, like you said. So definitely go on there and make your voice heard. 
And right now, the provision is for an eddy current inspection, but there might be a new procedure mandated for that eddy current inspection. And uh, it's set forth in a Piper service bulletin that was issued way back when the AD was proposed. I had a Mooney that needed an eddy current inspection on the propeller end. It was not that big of a deal. Okay, good. Good. That's good to hear. But, it, but it's something that you do have to monitor. Yeah. Of course, that's assuming that it passes the inspection, right? That is true. And the hard cell propeller did pass the inspection in my case. But you're right. If it doesn't pass the inspection, that would be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, I want to bring on Dimitri. Uh, David, I think this is so cool. I mean, you got to go online and see the pictures. The stuff that he creates is just phenomenal. And some uh, some really cool tributes, I think, that he's done. But as you point out... He's going to tell us how he does it, if you're interested in doing it yourself. Welcome to Hangar Talk. Dimitri Neonakis, and I'm talking to you today from Maryland, and you are in Canada. You're a Cirrus pilot. Tell me a little bit about your aviation background, and basically, where are you located? I am located in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, that's in the uh, eastern part of Canada. Uh, just about a couple hours flight above New York and Boston. And what is the type of aircraft that you are normally flying? I'm flying a, a 2004 Cirrus SR-22. And how did you get involved in aviation? I started 20 years ago. I, I always loved aviation. I picked up the love for aviation when I was growing up over in Greece. And uh, I used to uh, be really excited as a kid when the uh, crop dusters used to come and <laughs> spray the olive trees for parasites. And these guys used to buzz low right over the olive trees. And it was exciting for me. And, and I just always wanted to be one of them. And uh, that's how I started my love for aviation. And I uh, took my first lesson when I came here to Canada in, uh, well, I came here 35 years ago. And I started my first lesson in 2000. One thing I wanted to get right down to the point with you is to, to chat a little bit about some of your aerial adventures. Now, some of your aviation has taken on a whole life of its own via some flight path artwork that you have plotted. Let's start with the, one of the most recent ones. Now, I know you went out yesterday with a tip of the hat to the seniors, a class of 2020. But before that, just a few days prior, you had a little bit of a clenched fist salute, and it looked like a lot of other news Outlets might have picked up on that. Tell me a little bit about how that project came about. The one with the fist? Yes, sir. Well, it started with the uh, events down in Minnesota, and millions of people protested, uh, showed the support, defiance against racism. And I did the same thing. I protested through the air, really. I sent out my message to end racism. So now, how did you come up with the idea to protest through the air? That's a novel way of, of using your aviation skills and your commitment to the community. Well, I've done more of those flights in support of some events that took place here in Nova Scotia, like a recent massacre of 22 people 
in last April, a downing of an aircraft, a helicopter, a military helicopter, where we lost six local crew members, the crash of the Snowbirds aerobatic team, uh, where we lost a dear friend and, and a great ambassador to aviation, Jen Casey. So I did a few of those, and I uh, also did the, the fist. So the fist is uh, basically a clenched fist uh, in support of the Black Lives Matter movement here in the States. I'm going to say that the United States might not be the only country in the world that's having some types of strife. And you uh, spoke out about it uh, from, from your viewpoint in Canada. Tell me how you planned that flight. Now, this is not a, an easy thing to do, I don't think. And, it's, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, you know, a little bit of financial support. So tell me how you planned that flight. Well, I fly a lot, either for work or uh, pleasure or uh, for taking flights with children, giving uh, free flights to children with disabilities. So all those flights now, they're all gone with COVID-19. So I like being up in the air. So I do a lot. Anytime, whatever I can, I get up uh, and go flying. But there's nowhere to go, really. <laughs> and uh, I'd rather go out and do a drawing than uh, just uh, fly around. So you want to have a purpose is uh, what I'm guessing. You want a purpose to your aviation. Not all flights are like that. I like to go up and, and uh, fly around and I find it very relaxing. But a lot of times I like to do some of these drawings. And some of these drawings are uh, personal uh, like I did one of a mother holding a baby, and uh, it was uh, for my daughter, my second daughter, who's about to have her first baby. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. This particular one with the uh, clenched fist, it's a sign of, I mean, it goes back to many, many years uh, before the 1960s, in the 1800s, of, uh, as a symbol of solidarity and as a symbol of defiance against oppression. And it does represent the uh, Black Lives Matters. And uh, I decided to draw that as my way to express my solidarity and my support to speak out against oppression and racism. And it's a beautiful drawing, Dimitri. I want to say that it, it's, it's like you had to have planned this exactly with an app or some kind of a way with GPS and cause it's, it's, it's a beautifully done and it's, it's not like you went back over and over the route. I mean, once you're up, you can't really erase things, right? No, I mean, no. this is a data driven art project. Exactly. If you don't have a visual, you cannot draw uh, anything up in the sky. You have to have a visual. As a matter of fact, one day I tried to, draw a face without a visual and it just came out a squiggly bit of line zigzag you have to have a visual so the way what i do is i draw it first on a piece of paper what i want to put up in the air i draw it on a piece of paper and then i take it and i put it on my floor flight and i draw it by shifting hundreds of waypoints around and once i get it the way I want it. The second part comes in where I get up there with the iPad on my knee and I follow the lines. And if I stay on those lines, the drawing will come out as I drew it. So the first part of this is to, I want to just get the process down because I'm a, I'm a photographer by trade, but I'm a terrible, you know, artist. If I had to draw something, I could maybe do some stick figures. So you're drawing something on a piece of paper 
And then how, how are you putting that over your foreflight to then add the waypoints? Okay. First, I start with a straight line out of the airport uh-huh. because my departure is a part of the drawing. And then the drawing starts 50 miles outside of the airport. So the next waypoint is 50 miles. From 50 miles, I start the next waypoint. And then I start manipulating that line or those lines to make it look like a face, for example. It's just a manipulation with my fingers on the iPad. Okay. So basically, I create a flight path, which is very complicated and twisted. That's, that's all it is. It's a flight path, complicated flight path, and very twisted. Now, are you a, are you a good artist? I mean, would you consider yourself a good artist? Or uh, you, you must. I mean, I come from a family of artists. Okay. I can draw, <laughs> but uh, I find a lot, of, a lot of pleasure drawing on the foreflight than, than I draw on... Uh, on a piece of paper. It's, I enjoy it more uh, manipulating lines and creating something on a four-flight app on my iPad than actually sit down and, and draw something on a piece of paper. I gotcha. Now, were you formally trained as an artist? No, sir. No. But it was in the family? It's in the family. My daughter is an artist. She uh, lives and works in Los Angeles. I have uh, cousins and members of, other, members of my family who are artists, either uh, sculptors or painters or actors. So there is some artistic vein in the family and I get a bit of it. I don't consider myself as a good artist. You know, it's one thing to be able to draw a face Mm -hmm. and another thing to be able to do a painting. But yeah, am I an artist? I would say probably not. Do I do sky art? Yes. Well, it it certainly looks like you have some artistic ability and uh, there's a lot of value in what you do. And, you know, here's the other thing, thinking about this, there are a lot of people watching you do that. Now, does that give you the jitters or anything? I mean, you you probably know people are going to look for your tail number when you're getting up there. Yeah, well, it has come to a point right now where I want to do a drawing for myself and I can't because somebody's going to post it on the internet. Uh, Uh Yeah, so I can't even do that. But having said that, in Nova Scotia, we went through some real hard time on top of COVID-19. And I did a lot of these drawings and I saw that it brought a lot of comfort to people. Thousands of messages poured in, thousands of messages of support, thank yous. And uh, you put a smile on my face. So many, so many messages. They're still coming in. And uh, with that, it, it kind of encourages me to to do more drawings. And since I love it, I love doing them. I get up and, and I do drawings that they have to do with current events, you know, the crash of the helicopter, for example, or the massacre here in Nova Scotia. Uh, Mother's Day, I did one, preparing one for Father's Day. I did the graduate for the kids who didn't graduate. I mean, I posted on the internet and all of a sudden there's 2,000 2, shares. And, and I'm honestly, I'm stunned. And they said, what is it that, trying to understand what is, what is it that makes people love this? Well, I tell you what, one thing is that it, you're, this is coming from your heart, you know, and I'm here in, in the States looking at, at someone who really, you could be doing anything you wanted to do. You don't have to be up in, in the sky drawing this artwork. And so I certainly appreciate it. And I want um, the uh, Hangar Talk podcast listeners to know that one of the events you were talking about was the Nova Scotia attacks back in April. And that was a very serious uh, shooting. That was I think there were 16 different locations that were involved and that really hit Canadians very, very hard. 
And uh, that was a punch to the gut, so to speak. And that happened right during sort of the beginning of the COVID-19. Yes, yes, it did. Uh, a madman went on a rampage, uh, rampage uh, killing rampage with uh, a, a police car. He, he had a, a thing for for police cars and police uniforms, and he was stopping, stopping people, unsuspected motorists, and shoot them or burning homes. He went on a destructive uh, rampage, burnt so many homes. Anyway, just terrible, terrible acts, which I, obviously I don't want to talk about right now. It was just awful. So uh, we never in a million years in a small community here in Nova Scotia, who <laughs> uh, just on the edge of North America here, we would never expect something like this. We were stunned. I mean, I was stunned. So I got up and and uh, without even thinking uh, what effect this thing would have, I went up there and I drew a heart over the community that was mostly affected, the community of Portopec, sort of to show support that had nothing to, it was just me, an action that just came from me. I knew nobody was see me. I, I didn't have a white smoke coming out of the, 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 the airplane, uh, to anybody to see me. And I drew a, a heart about 40 nautical miles wide. And then I landed. I didn't think of anything. And the next thing I know, within two hours, this thing has gone wild on the internet. Uh, I started getting phone calls from reporters from CBC and CTV and and uh, all the radio stations. And I was stunned. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Simply, I was grieving. Uh, this tragedy had touched me personally because of a friend. Again, I don't want to talk about that. So... I called my daughter in Los Angeles and I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. Why would they want to talk to me? I just did a flight. There's people out there who we have so many dead people. The press should, should be focusing on them. Why are they focusing on me? I don't want to talk to anyone. And my daughter says, Dad, <laughs> we are now in a period where there's no good news. There's no hope. Uh, every time you turn on the TV, it's nothing but bad news. People need to hear this little story. It will bring them some comfort. Uh, I think you should talk to everyone. And so she changed my mind and and uh, I talked to the press and people just reached out like the only ray of hope they had. It, it was it was unbelievable to me. This little flight path of a heart, it turned out to be the only hope and a ray of sunshine to thousands and thousands of Canadians across the country. I got so many phone calls and messages and interviews from television stations to radio stations to thank yous and so many people. I couldn't believe it that, but then again, when, I, when you think about it, I mean, you are in the midst of a, a, a terrible pandemic. 22 people have lost their lives. There's nothing good news. There's no good news on television, nothing. And some guy goes up and draws a heart and support, and that's the only good news we have. Well, we're happy that you did that good news. I mean, you spread that joy to the uh, Canadians who are grieving so intently and also to people around the world who are dealing with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. That was uh, from your heart to their hearts. It turned out to be that way. I did it for myself because I didn't expect anybody to see it. I had no idea that this was going to happen. I just, I was so shocked for what happened to these 22 people. And uh, again, a friend of mine was involved, and I just wanted to go up there and draw a heart. I never expected anybody would see that. Obviously, I forgot about radar. But when I landed, I saw a thing saying, um, a thing on Facebook had tagged me and, 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 and said the Halifax Airport Watch Group. 
And one of the fellows said, is this your handiwork? And that thing exploded, it went viral. And then another one, some local agency here, can remember said, an airplane just flew a heart over Porto Peak and we can't believe our eyes. That's outstanding. And you didn't even think uh, much about doing it. You just want to do this one thing to get to get this off your chest. One thing for me and my girlfriend, Lara, that came with me in the cockpit and we were both quiet. And the only laughter we, we had is when I came to, to the top of the heart and I, and I had to take a, a, a hard 45 degree, 50 degree bank to the right to come around to create the top of the heart. And I banked it, slowed the airplane down, banked it hard, pull on the stick brought her around pretty quick and she said, don't kill us trying to draw a heart now. And we, and we <laughs> oh, both laughed, laughed, but but we were very quiet. I mean, we were feeling the pain below us. There were houses burning down there. I mean, this guy went in and burnt a bunch of homes. And this all occurred on April 19th. Now, didn't the, uh, the tragedy occur on the 18th and part of the 19th? It started on the 18th late at night and went in through the night and into the morning and thankfully the RCMP got a hold of him at a gas station where he stopped to take gas and they took him down and it ended or we would have more casualties. Well, I tell you, that was a, that was a, a unique experience for you and, and your significant other. I want other Hangar Talk listeners to also understand that that is not the only thing you do for outreach. You actually have posted on Facebook and we want to highlight this the Dream Wings outreach. And I want you to tell us a little bit more about what Dream Wings is. And it also sounds like maybe part of that was why you and I couldn't hook up on the phone yesterday. It looks like you were a little bit busy yesterday with a special person too. Yes. Tell me about Dream Wings. Yes, Dream Wings, I started in 2017, in June uh, of 2017. I took an ad on Facebook saying uh, any child or any family with uh, children with disabilities uh, send me a message, come to the airport, I'll give your children and yourself a free flight on a four-seater airplane. Three days later, I think that was Wednesday when I did that, and then on uh, Saturday, I had six families lined up, and another five or six on Sunday, and from there, it just took off. And since last year, I had flown over 500 children in 375 different flights. Uh, those flights are free. They are for children with disabilities. It gives them a unique opportunity to become my co-pilot, makes them feel good about themselves, especially children who are bullied uh, at school. It gives them, uh, it makes them feel special. Uh, or they also learn things about aviation, uh, the basic principles of flight, aerodynamics, how to control an airplane, you know, how the moving parts work, and what keeps an airplane up in the air. I have cured children from fear simply by uh, applying knowledge to them and working with them for a couple of weeks, getting their parents to bring them back to the airport and get them closer to the airplanes and or to the airplane and, and finally get up in the air with them. I've flown with children who are visually impaired. And uh, one amazing thing about them is that they can fly an airplane better than you and me. No way. They use an extra sense, obviously. Once someone doesn't have the vision, it picks up other senses. I mean, it's mother nature and evolution. And one child in particular, his name is Luke. I've flown with him five or six times. Uh, many times he was bullied at school. His confidence was restored. I call him Captain Luke, an amazing, amazing kid, an incredible pilot. I mean, this guy, he's uh, 12 years old. He executes my command like I'm, uh, it's like I'm talking to an autopilot. He even lines me up for the runway and he's blind. 
That's outstanding. Right? I love it. How many, now you said you've flown 500 children. How many flights have you made so far? I would say about 375 flights, uh, five, over 500 children. A lot of those children, either autistic children, uh, children in wheelchairs, muscular dystrophy, cancer, a lot of, uh, you know, different medical conditions. Two of those children we have lost to muscular dystrophy and their names are written on my right wing. Oh, goodness. Well, that's uh, uh, that's something. I didn't know that. And thank you for, for letting us know. Tell the audience here how they could find Dream Wings. Do you guys have a website or anything? No, I just have a, a Facebook page called, called Dream Wings. Okay. And uh, there are a lot of fabulous stories there. Sometimes uh, some stories are worth telling. Many, many stories. Uh, I mean, I could write a book. Each child, each family is, has a story of their own, and some of the stories are very touching. One of those stories actually took place yesterday uh, when you called me, and I couldn't talk to you. I was ready to go on a flight with a very special kid, 11 years old, Zach, who um, beat uh, a, a rare form of cancer a couple of years ago, and, and then it appeared again, and the treatment cannot work. The doctors has released them. Treatment is not working. So the Wish Foundation, the Children's Wish Foundation, granted, he, the, the child has uh, is a brilliant kid, again, 11 years old. He has um, interest in geography, aviation, and especially European history. So the uh, Wish Foundation granted him a, uh, a free trip to Europe, but then COVID-19 came and put a damper on his plan. So, oh, goodness. So not to be beaten by virus, he created uh, this uh, Facebook page called Zach's virtual world tour where he asked people from all over the world to send him pictures of where they live so this way he's able to travel virtually throughout the world and the outpouring of support is has been incredible so far thousands of people have reached out and and you know from china and from 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 germany from netherlands and say look hi zach i am so and so uh, here's where i live here's some interesting uh uh, landmarks around my town and my country and postcards and uh, World War II memorabilia came in. There's a there's a address where you, people can send stuff. So I offered him also, he, he loves aviation. So I offered him to become my co-pilot and uh, he gladly accepted, showed up with his mother and his father yesterday at the airport. And we had a fantastic flight in which he control the aircraft uh, through the autopilot. So by basically turning the heading knob. So I, I taught him about the magenta line and I said, when you turn it, this is where the plane's gonna go. So he figured it out right away and he took us over the city and then he went straight for his grandparents' house. It was amazing. I had contacted the air traffic controller, a friend of mine, Jonathan Hunt, and I said, John, is there any, anything you can do uh, to give a shout out to explain to him the situation, to give a shout out to Zach? Well, let me tell you, these guys, the air traffic controllers, went above and beyond. They, it was a, a, a beautiful audio show of navigation, air traffic control, and Captain Zach. And that made his day, you know, calls like uh, Zulu Papa Tank and Captain Zach, you're clear for takeoff runway 14 uh, with a right turn towards the city. And uh, calls like... Uh, Zulu Papa Tango, the latest forecast came in, uh, 
I don't know if uh, Captain Zach is uh, interested in this, but uh, 15 miles visibility uh, layer at 16,000, blah, blah, blah. Beautiful stuff. Loved it. I made a recording of that. I promised him. I sent it to him. So this was a beautiful flight with Zach. And a lot of people responded and very proud that he was able to actually fly an airplane. He flew it for 15 minutes and then he said, my arms are getting tired. Can we go land? I said, sure. Do you think that any of these kids, Dimitri, might pursue uh, aviation? Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, my little initiative here not only gives the oppor- this opportunity to children with disabilities, it also gives them to children that, you know, disadvantage youth. Kids who never flown an airplane or they live in, in communities far away and uh, perhaps their parents don't have the means to send them to an aviation school or they were, they were never, I mean, to pick up a love for aviation, uh, Most a lot of pilots I know grew up near an airport, right? Absolutely. Or they had someone in their family that might have been an aviator. Exactly. So they don't have that uh, opportunity, so I give it to them. Uh, a lot of the native children who live in faraway communities, I'm starting a program now. I've flown a lot with them, uh, and I'm starting a program now where uh, I'll give them flights, teach them about aviation, and give them the opportunity to experience flight and maybe spark something in them to someday become pilots. So yeah, uh, some of them someday will become pilots. Now, a lot of the children I fly they do have disabilities, but uh, it's uh, disabilities that they can be overcome with uh, time. So out of all of the children that I fly, one or two of them might become a pilot. They have Some of them have expressed interest to go to flying school. I fly from ages of very, very young up to 18 years old. So to answer your question, the answer is yes. Uh, I believe that some of these kids might become pilots, air traffic controllers. Uh, work for the aviation field, and it's a rich aviation. It's plenty of jobs available. Not right now, unfortunately, but (laughs) once things get better, yeah. Well, we're all doing every little thing that we can to interest the next generation, and uh, you've been doing more than most, clearly. Give folks, again, the Facebook site for Dreamwings. It's just called Dreamwings. So all they got to do is search for Dreamwings. Now, can they find you as well on Facebook? Under Dimitri Neonakis, yes. My Facebook page, um, I, I don't do a lot of personal posts. I, the the post that I do is about aviation, uh, my sky art, and uh, Dreamwings. So they need to find you on Facebook, and that's where your drawings are going to live, uh, hopefully forever. And and we already know that you've, you've brought some some pleasure to a lot of folks, not just in Canada, but also in the United States as well. And we, we do, our hearts do feel for you with the Nova Scotia uh, shootings and also Captain Jen Casey, who I wrote about, you know, one of the snowbird captains. And you told me before we got on the broadcast that you were also a, a personal friend of the family. So we are very sorry to hear a little bit more about that, but I'm glad you did the tribute for her. Jen was a wonderful lady and uh, my girlfriend, Lara, and uh, her mother are very good friends. And the sad part was that the day of the accident, it was her mother's birthday and and half hour before the accident happened, Lara had sent her mother a happy birthday note only to, you know, half hour later to look at the television and it's this terrible accident. I I felt I really wanted to do that drawing for Jen where I wrote her name in the sky in an airplane, her airplane and another 11, which was her snowbird uh, aircraft. 
because she had reached out to me for Dreamwings. Uh, we were supposed to meet at an air show here in Dubert in Nova Scotia uh, this summer. And she had sent a package with uh, Snowbird's paraphernalia to uh, a mutual friend, Captain Steve McDonald, and said, here, give this to Dimitri to pass it on to the kids every time he takes flights with them. What a beautiful gesture on her part. And a few weeks later to, to see her perish on live television, it, it was, I was heartbroken. Heartbroken. The whole nation was heartbroken. She was a great ambassador to Canadian aviation and to aviation in general. A very sweet and kind lady, an incredible human being. And to us, she was a great loss. She is a great loss. Your, your artistic ability does shine through. Um, I know we've kept you on the, on the line for quite a while. I want our listeners to know, what is the next artwork you have in mind? Or do we just, do we just need to hope for no news so there is no artwork? <laughs> Actually, about uh, two hours ago, somebody else asked me the same thing from Ottawa. No, I, I am planning to do some more. Some of them are personal, uh, which I will frame. I am planning to write a book about uh, what happened in Nova Scotia, COVID-19, the massacre, some of the stuff that happened that triggered me to do all these drawings one after another. Some personal stuff and a lot of photographs that I have from the cockpit while I'm doing this and uh, how I do it. Maybe other pilots might be interested to learn. I haven't perfected the technique yet, but it it has worked pretty good so far. So I will write a book. There will be instructions of how, how I do it. And hopefully in two or three months, I will have the book ready. But they are, I will continue drawing in the sky because simply I love it. It is something I really enjoy. I, I love both parts. The drawing part, which takes about four to five to six hours to draw it. And the flying part, which averages around two and a half hours. Both parts I love very much, and I will continue for my own. Well, you're starting to be the Rembrandt of the skies, Dimitri. So you're going to have a following here, I think. And you know, and and, and again, you've you've uh, driven. We want people to know that you've also flown some very pretty photos that are not, you know, uh, driven by tragedy. This uh, the tip of the hat to the to the students in the class of 2020 is quite good. That was nice. And, that was a complicated yeah, one. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we have more good news that will that help you celebrate some additional good news with some of the sky art via flight yeah. radar and foreflight. Actually, I'm planning to do one that my daughter, she's an artist, and she she drew a, a beautiful uh, drawing of a lily. And she says, here, Dad, draw this one. I looked at it and I laughed. I said, you can't draw this. You, you can't fly this. It's, it's complicated. Yet I drew it. Uh, I love the drawing. And one of these days, I'm going to get up and draw it. Now... It does have a part where I have to do five 180 degree turns, space them out in a space of less than 4.5 nautical miles. How I'm going to do that, I have no idea, but I'll figure it out. So. Oh my goodness. Well, that sounds Beautiful. like challenge, challenge accepted to me. That sounds good. But here's another interesting thing. I guess thousands of messages from people and a lot of them, they suggest, oh, no, why don't you go out and, and, and draw this or draw that? or, or And some of the, the suggestions are quite legit. I'm thinking, oh, maybe. And then I have those, can you please draw my cat? Yeah. <laughs> or can you please draw my friend's dog that died last week? She's devastated. And these are people who don't understand the expense of aviation. 
and, and rightfully so. They think that it's like getting in your car and go out for an hour. Not a big deal. You spend 20 bucks. They don't realize that an airplane, even a single engine spends, you know, 120, 130 bucks on fuel per hour, plus all the costs, you know, you're looking at three, four hundred dollars an hour. That makes That'll sense. Be, yeah, but you're giving back. You're giving back to the community, and the community appreciates that. Now, what? Uh, before we go, now, what airport do you uh, base out of? So, if he, if people actually want to come up and visit, they could visit you. The uh, Halifax International, the C H Y Z. Okay. Well, we appreciate it very much. Uh, Dimitri Neonakis, I've kept you on the line for a pretty long time. You have a great story. We really appreciate you sharing it with us folks here in the States at AOPA and at Hangar Talk. And I really look forward to some of your future drawings. It sounds like you got plans all lined up uh, one way or another through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and even into next year for Easter. So hopefully our paths will cross in person before then. Awesome. Really appreciate your chat. All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Safe flying. And same to you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so David, like I mentioned, you got to go online and see these. They are they are really beautiful. What he's drawn, and and uh, I'm curious, have you done one of these before? I haven't done one of these yet, Ian. But now that Dimitri laid out the procedures and how to do it, I think I might be able to follow in his footsteps. You know, this is not a new phenomenon. We reported on this concept a couple of years ago. In fact, AOPA even had a little contest at one point about that. You know, about the the flight path art. But I think it's really caught on, and I think that you know, when folks have something to say. They could say it in their aircraft right now with subjects that are close to their heart. So now we know how to do it. We can all go out and make some air flight path art. All right, fantastic. I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. We're also on iTunes and on Spotify. All right, we'll see you next time for episode 100. I can't wait, Ian. Let's stay tuned. We have a special guest at episode 100. That'll be the tease. All right, we'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.